Today's passage comes from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Um, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 3, or 939. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. First sermon of, of Revived Presbyterian Church. <laughs> and uh, I've been thinking about this sermon for, for um, literally for weeks. This is a, a new series. And uh, the series, we just completed our series this summer on hard questions. And we're going to start a series um, that I'm calling Revive Vision. What is going to be the vision of this church? And, and I, in some ways, I hope that many of the things that, I, um, that is preached over the, um, the upcoming weeks, they're really, they're not new to you. <laughs> um, Pastor Young talked about how the mission has not really changed because Jesus has not changed. And that's true. But nonetheless, at the same time, it is a new turning point. Um, there's times in the Bible when there, there's clearly... There's, a, there's, a, there's important turning points. This is, this is an, the oldest has been completed and a new thing is starting. Um, and you all know that this is also happens in your life. You, know, you graduate college and then you go off to college. You can feel this. There's nervousness. There is excitement. Um, when you go from being single to being married, um, the, the big one that just completely like, rocked my world was when I went from... Um, when I, when I became a father, <laughs> you know, my, my wife and I talked about how, how uh, you know, we got married and it, we didn't feel like we changed a lot. But um, as soon as Hudson came out, we we're like, whoa, <laughs> it's like life just completely got flipped upside down. And that's how I felt, right? And, and you know, a number of you young parents are finding, finding out about that. But it's a new chapter. And, and we're about to do this incredible thing. We're birthing a new church. Now, in one sense, there's one church, but that church is all over the world. And every local instantiation of that church is tremendously important. And whether the church is large or whether the church is small, whether the church is rich and powerful or whether it is small and is, it seems of no importance to the world, it is utterly beloved by God. If they're truly God's church, if there's people proclaiming the gospel. And so um, it's an incredibly precious thing that we're doing here. It's an unbelievably precious thing that we're doing here because what happens here in this body of people called the church, and we're offering the gospel in a, in a fresh way to our city and to our neighbors, um, it really is the difference between life and death. It's not about... Will this company make more money? <laughs> it's not about whether you'll go off to a, a good college. It has nothing to do with those things. Those things are not unimportant things, but they're really nothing compared to eternal life, which is what is really at stake in church. And so that's what we're starting. Right? In order to start this message, um, I, I picked a very, very important passage. It should be an important verse for every church but it's a very, very important verse for our church. And that is Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. And I especially want to 
almost every word is important. Every word is important. I am not ashamed of the gospel, is what the, the Apostle Paul says. And I just, just, just back up just for a minute. Um, I am not ashamed of the gospel. You know why he says that? Because it is very easy to be ashamed of the gospel. Because it's supposed to be the most incredible thing that is in the world, and yet the world finds it very offensive. Because before the gospel can heal you, it must tell you, you're so wretched, you're so lost, you're so broken, you have no hope to make your life whole yourself. And you know what? People do not want to hear that message. It's actually even worse than that. Everything that we think that makes us good people, it's not good enough. That's part of the message. And if you don't believe that, well, it's not going to sound like good news. It so far just sounds really, really offensive. And, and you guys, we live in, a, in, in, this, in this city. This is, one of the, this is one of the least church cities in all of America. You, maybe in the middle of the country somewhere, they don't feel that this is a post-Christian country, but you feel it every day. You feel it every day. You feel it by the neighbors you encounter. Many of you work for tech companies. And you know, you know this, that if you do something like pray before your meal and your boss, whose cousin is gay, sees and goes, are you a Christian? And then they will wonder if you have orthodox Christian beliefs about sexuality and in the next round of layoffs, you could be gone. Now, I didn't mean to scare you there if you didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't even mean to scare you if you didn't know that, but you probably all knew that, all right? You already knew that. And that we are not in a, in, in, this is not a Christian culture. A post-Christian culture, let, let's put it another way. It's an anti-Christian culture. And they do not consider this idea of the gospel to be a welcome thing on many different fronts. Can't there be, can't all everybody have all kinds of their own sincere religious beliefs and then still be good people and still make it to heaven? And and, um, in Christianity, the gospel says no. Incredibly offensive. And our views about sexuality, incredibly offensive. Our views about um, identity, very, very offensive. All these things are just completely just right in the core of our faith and yet deeply offensive. And I want to ask you this question. As we launch this church, can you say, along with the Apostle Paul, can you say, as the Bible says, I am not ashamed of the gospel? Can you say that? Can you honestly say that? Um, you guys are, you know, one of the things, I, I, I do this gut check regularly. <laughs> I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I ask God to gird up my courage all the time to stand on Jesus. And I hope you think I have some courage, and most of you think, most of you probably think I do. I, I, I believe that we need to get out there and not be afraid. And I know a number of you are afraid, but let me say something to you. I mostly act like I'm not afraid, <laughs> but sometimes I am. There are the days when the Holy Spirit is strong in me, and I look, I 
and not shame the gospel. Yes! <laughs> yes, Jesus! <laughs> right? And then they're like, I walk out, and I'm like, mm, this person's like, ooh, this person's going to look at me weird. Okay, let's just walk the other way. <laughs> um, because we're human. But that, those are incredibly important words. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And first and foremost, it is my deep prayer that um, that, is, that will be our conviction. It isn't words on a page. You and I and the we of Revive Church will come out, we are not ashamed of the gospel. <laughs> now today, I want, that's the intro. I want to talk about what he says next. <laughs> Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Today we're going to talk about that. It is the power of God for what? For salvation. Who gets that salvation? Everyone who believes. First for Jews, then for Gentiles. But in other words, every ethnicity. Some of them have more of the Bible, like Jews. Um, do, you, do you know that in our city that um, Korean Americans have a lot more of the Bible? You know that? Relative to a lot of the other ethnicities. So if you grew up Korean American, as many of you did, not everybody in this room is, Chinese Americans have a lot more of the Bible for the most part. Compared to, let's just, just for example, say, um, say Karen refugees who live in our city. Compared to the Vietnamese who live in our city. Do you, this is really interesting. Do you know that if you grew up in an Orthodox Chinese, you know, an Orthodox Christian biblically um, proclaiming Chinese church, Chinese American church, you may have more of the Bible than those who are, who are, are, who are white. You, we all tend to think people who are white, they have a lot more of the Bible. But many of them grew up in churches that don't even preach the Bible anymore. And then somewhere along the line, they decided that I reject this thing called Christianity, but they never even actually heard the real gospel. So they have rejected Christianity, but they haven't rejected the real thing. So for the, whether you are more Jewish, in other words, and I count in our city the Korean-American Christians, the Chinese-American Christians, more on the Jewish side. That's kind of weird to say. And a lot of the Caucasians in our city... They're on the Greek side. They're on the pagan side. It's true. Isn't that weird? And I'm saying these things to you to help you understand when you look what's going on, but it doesn't matter where you came from more of a sound church or where you came from like utter paganism. Your, your parents, your parents were um, like Marxists. They weren't even Democrats. They were like far left of the Democratic Party. They were Marxists. And maybe your parents were like pro-gay, and you grew up with a full-on LGBTQ, pro-Marxist, you know, that was your religion. There are lots of people, now maybe not lots of people, right? But there are people in our city who have that, those beliefs, and you know that's true. And then you have, there's lots of people in that beliefs that they have these beliefs in a softer way, because these, the, these are the religious beliefs of our time. These are the Greeks. In our city, we have the Jews, those who have more of the Bible. A lot of them are Asian. It's really odd. <laughs> and then there are the Greeks, the really, really hardcore pagan Greeks. Many of them are white. 
And some of them are pagan from the other side of the world. They're Vietnamese. They're Filipino. They're Iranian. These are the Greeks of our city. But regardless, it, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is what we're offering. And um, let's talk about today the question of power. Part one. That's really what I want to focus on today. The gospel is the power of God. For what? For salvation. For whom? For everyone who believes. If you ever wonder what our church is all about and what any really good church should be about, this is what it's all about. <laughs> but today I want to go back to a, a supremely basic but incredibly important because if you don't believe in this next portion, it is the power. Because <laughs> if you want to get to the place where we are not ashamed, <laughs> that Actually, Paul has another way of putting it, that if we, you should not boast about anything in your life, but there's one thing we can boast about, about Christ. That's another way of saying we are not ashamed. We're so not ashamed, we will boast. Boast of what? About Jesus. Not about how smart we are, how tall we are, how good looking we are, how much money we got, what schools we went to, what merit badges we've earned in this world, but Jesus, again, how do you get to that place? Today I want to wrestle with this question of power. It's about power. Do you believe the gospel has power? If you believe it has power like nothing else, then if you really, really believe that, you won't be ashamed. Part two. Um, well, part one, the question of power. Part two. I want to talk about... Um, Something that's called spectacular and quiet power in the churches. Spectacular and quiet power in the churches. Sometimes the gospel is unleashed in a big way. But usually it's unleashed very quietly. And that's not easy. It's not easy. Because power means, oh, whoa, <laughs> wow, that was powerful. But something can be very, very powerful. Very, very quiet. And that's often the way it is in the churches. And then I want to close by talking about the, the, something important that the gospel does. The gospel healing through humility and love. It's connected to this question of power. The gospel healing through humility and love. That'll be part three. So let's go to part one. Question of power. You know that you... And I, all of you, there's not a single person in this room, there's not a single person alive who's not interested in the question of power. And by power, I'm not talking about, you know, I have power over you, I'm the president, or I'm the boss. I'm not, I'm not talking about that type of power. I'm talking about um, it works. <laughs> it has efficacy. There's a claim. This, you know, if you get this, it will get this. It will do this beautiful thing for you. That means it has power to do this thing. I mean, every commercial is a claim of power. Do you realize that? Get this thing, you know, it'll do this thing, and then your abs will turn out a certain way. <laughs> Call this number, and then you will meet this person, and all your debts will go away. <laughs> right? Go get this product, you know, and, 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 and then the girls will just you know, jump on top of you. Right? 
That, that's what will happen. And really, what they all, they're all claims about power. Everybody's interested, does it have power? Does it work? That's, really, that's an important question. Now, the reason I, I start off with this thing, and the reason why I've chosen this to be the first message of Revived Presbyterian Church is because um, it's not something that Christians regularly talk about, but um, I believe, so let's just put it out there, that many, Christ, many Christians, people inside the church, they are not sure if the gospel has much power. And yet the Bible says very, very explicitly, it doesn't just have power, it is the power of God. <laughs> it isn't the power of a pastor. It isn't the power of the church. It isn't the power of any kind of people. It is the power of God. <laughs> and what does it promise? It is for salvation. Now, this is what I've, I've been a pastor many, many, many years, and I've been a Christian for even longer than I've been a pastor. This when people hear this thing, there's a power of God for salvation. Well, of course there is, because Jesus died on the cross. He atoned for our sins. His blood washes us in some strange metaphorical way. I don't really quite understand it, but somehow those, his blood was shed. And then we are, like, we're guilty, because <laughs> we all know that we do bad things and have bad thoughts, and there's wickedness in our heart. And... That message about Jesus, somehow that blood washes us and we're forgiven. And then, if you believe that, God will accept you and you will go to heaven. <laughs> Do you believe that? I sure hope you believe that. Everything I just said is 100% true. It's completely what the Bible teaches. And if you grew up in an orthodox Bible-preaching church, whatever, everything I just said should just, I hope, is completely old news for you. You've heard this. But here's the part that I think that a lot of Christians are not sure about. Does that have power? <laughs> many, many years ago, when I was 14 years old, or when I was 12 years old, when I was 25, you just named the age when you felt like you came to Jesus for whatever reason. I was sneaking peeks at the pornography that I found under my dad's bed. <laughs> and then I knew that was a really, really bad thing. And so I, for, I asked Jesus to forgive me because I knew I was going to go to hell for that. <laughs> and then I was incredible. He forgave me. And for about six months, for about six months, I was floating on top of the world because I found that I was forgiven and I'm going to go to heaven. And then... And then I went back to regular life. And then, you know, I kind of wanted to look at porn again. And I just cared about money and grades and all those other normal things, right? And so for the, the average Christian, I especially see in the American church, what is salvation? Salvation is to be forgiven of your sins and then go to heaven. That's pretty darn good. If that's all salvation is, let me tell you something, you should want it with all your heart. If that's all you ever got from salvation, if that's all salvation was, you should be willing to give up everything for it. Because 
you're only going to live till 75 or 85 or 95. Let's say you're a billionaire, a billionaire, not even a millionaire, a billionaire. You can literally just buy girls. You just buy them. You buy girls, you can buy power. So you have, you're like, I will, I'll, hey, I'll, I'll pay you $50,000. You wake up, you show up at my house, and I want you to lick my, lick my toes. Somebody will do it. You know, you ever watch that movie where um, uh, Coming to America? It was completely ridiculous where, where um, Eddie Murphy plays this prince of a super rich country. And he, has, and he wakes up in the morning, and women you know, wash him in, in the bathtub. If you're that rich, you could do that. But even then, listen, OK? So, so I know crazy Susan, I'm always saying these crazy things, OK? Right? Is, that's only going to last till you're dead. <laughs> and you're going to die pretty soon, all right? You, you think it's not going to be soon, OK? All you guys who are like 21, 22, you think, OK, I'm going to live a long time. I'm past half time, <laughs> all right? Let me tell you something, all right? I'm, OK, I, I know I look really young and good looking, but I, I'm 47. There's nothing young about 47. And 47 is like past halftime. Like, oh, man, I'm in the third quarter. The game's getting toward the end. <laughs> you know what I want to do with my life? I want to get rich and just have everybody bow down to me? Heck no. When you get to this portion of your life, let me tell you something. You feel that it's short. And all the other things that you thought were so dang cool when you were young, you're going to find it's not so cool. <laughs> Especially if you've even tasted some of it. So that's not salvation. You know what salvation is? Do you know that heaven and hell cuts through your heart? It's not just in the future. Heaven and hell is not just in the future. Heaven and hell cuts through your heart. Every single day you and I wake up, there is a fight between life and death. Heaven and hell cuts through our heart. And it's vying for who you are. And every day, you and I make choices, and you follow desires, and you listen to messages about what has power to make you happy. Maybe you wake, you wake up in the morning, you don't go, I'm interested in the power of God for salvation. That's not what you actually say. Of course you don't actually say that. That's not what you, what you mean, like, I mean, if you did that, then you're, you're a much holier person than me. I don't say that, and I'm a professional Christian, right? I wake up in the day, I'm like, what has power to make me happy? Right? It's like, is there some way I can avoid work today, even though I'm a pastor? <laughs> so I can just put around on the internet for like an hour, right? And, and then like, oh, and then, then I'll feel guilty that I'm like, I should be like, you know, like praying and like studying the Bible and thinking about the future of the church and those kinds of things, right? The power to make me happy for one hour is to, you know, putter around on the internet. That's what I'm thinking. Like, come on. I mean, you're like, I can't believe you, my pastor would ever do that. Come on. You all do that. <laughs> you all do that. Some of you just choose Facebook. Some of you choose Instagram. Some of you choose some, some, some of you choose sites that you're not supposed to be on, okay? But whatever that is, there's some power that you're looking for. But you know that every one of those choices, whatever power you choose, 
Whatever power you choose, there's a question of heaven and hell cutting through your heart. You know that? Do you know that? And because we're so blind and we're so impatient and we like instant, instant happy. If I choose Jesus, does it make me happy? Well, I, not right now. <laughs> if I choose obedience to Jesus right now, will it make me, will it give me the power for happiness? Not at this exact moment, it won't. <laughs> and so, but real salvation is not to simply give you heaven tomorrow. It'll make you whole starting now. <laughs> salvation is not just a destination. <laughs> it is a completion. <laughs> salvation is to make what is broken inside you whole and healed. Salvation is to make you the person, and everybody knows that. I don't care if you, you could be a hardcore atheist, and you think we just all, we just, just came out of some, you know, like some mud. You know, we were a virus, and then somehow we evolved into be becoming like overly, you know, cognitively endowed animals or something like this, all right? And there's no real meaning to life except what you make of it. Everybody's saying, I mean, you see this in the movies and hear this in TV shows and songs all the time. It's complete garbage <laughs> because everybody feels it. I'm not what I'm supposed to be. I don't have the deep peace and joy and satisfaction. And then there are times you take a step 